If scum ever marches, it'll be over the president's stupid, sickening face. If scum ever strikes, it'll be in the dark and with a six-inch blade. Welcome to episode 7. The sample you just heard is from feminist hardcore band Scum um, from their 2022 self-titled album. Um, They actually um, very generously sat down with me and we're able to have an interview, which I will play for you. So first things first, um, in terms of triggers, this episode is pretty clean. you know, there is some graphic things that are mentioned, but almost nothing that goes into detail. Um, I don't even think there's a lot of cursing either. Um, so it's just overall like a pretty above board situation. I do want to start adding disclaimers though, before the start of the episode about politics. Um, there's been this really disturbing trend online and for people and for content creators specifically, where um, people get held accountable for both, you know, the interviewers that they tend to associate with and the people that they have on the podcast. Um, And I just want to make clear that like no one can be held responsible for someone else's behavior. So members of SCUM have their own political ideas and they don't necessarily agree with me on everything that I think, nor should they ever be expected to, and vice versa as well. I'm a person with my own ideas and I'm more than happy to put out there. And anyone on the show, um, I can't be held responsible. If I have someone on the show, I can't be held responsible for everything they think and do before or after the show. Um, So just, you know, to make that clear for everybody. And then um, during the actual interview, um, this concept of the quote unquote 50 year ridicule, um, a concept promoted by um, Shamulith Firestone, which basically articulates a pattern of feminist backlash that lasts 50 years from the point of any major feminist victories. So essentially what SCUM are referencing repeatedly throughout the um, interview is this idea that we won major victories in the late 1960s and early to mid 1970s for women and for feminism. And the political climate that we've been experiencing for the past 50 years is um, a backlash to those wins. Just to make it clear, um, it comes up a lot and it's a little bit of a niche concept. Um, Speaking of niche concepts, I also want to talk a little bit about um, critical support, um, how to maintain solidarity with people that you disagree with, um, both in terms of gender issues, but then I also think that this has broad applicability with um, the current geopolitical situation that we're seeing here where a lot of left-wing women and left-wing feminists seem to be split over the issue of Israel-Palestine with um, a very decent number, actually, of radical feminists being, like, very uncritical of Israel's behavior and um, very defensive of Israel's quote-unquote right to exist, while um, another group of feminists are um, basically the opposite of that, um, critical of Israel's right to exist and deeply defensive of the current humanitarian crisis going on in Gaza. So 
basically, um, I would like to kind of just point out that it's very possible for us to work with people on issues that we agree with them on while also, you know, maintaining our right to disagree with them on all issues, um, on other issues. So basically what happened is um, I'm from a small town in the Northeast of the United States. Um, There's a couple of local influencers who basically like plan events, you know, try to get people excited about the tiny city that where I'm from. And, you know, I, I follow them, my siblings follow them. We like are like, even though I live in a large city now, like, for a lot of reasons, like, I'm very proud of where I grew up, and, you know, like, I love supporting people that are trying to make the people living there a little bit more excited and a little bit proud of where they grew up, too, and they ended up posting, um, a local, um, a local town official basically saying that, um, transgender people and LGBTQ people were not welcome in um, that particular county, I'm like gay and lesbian and transgender people are still like human beings. And if they subscribe to shitty politics or not, they don't deserve to be discriminated against. And I don't see how um, a public official declaring that trans people are not welcome in a certain town to be advancing the cause of feminism at all. Um, or doing any good to anyone, most especially, you know, actual trans people. And, you know, like, I denounced it and encouraged other people to do the same. You might be asking, well, like, you're a, fem- <laughs> you're a radical feminist, like, why would you do that? But I think it is so absolutely so important that we stay principled and we stay committed to our goals. And the reality is we're against the misogyny in the trans movement. We're not against transgender people. And it is so important for principled radical feminists to live by that by that truth. Because it is a truth, you know? And it only removes us from our mission and our purpose to deny that or to play tit-for-tat games because, you know, some trans people like to harass feminists on the internet. That still doesn't justify discrimination by a public official. And I think this is what I mean when I say critical support. Um, Just because we don't necessarily agree with everything that a certain group is doing, we can still work with them on the issues where we are aligned. And I would would sincerely hope that um, many feminists on here won't turn up their noses about like working on abortion or, um, you know, working against some of the homophobic laws that have been put forward um, in various red states. You know, once again, like, just because we might disagree on some things doesn't make discrimination okay. And um, again, I hope that's just a kind of thought you would take forward, um, not just into the holidays, but also um, when navigating the current um, sort of political environment right now in the U.S. around Israel and Palestine. Don't um, don't throw away opportunities for solidarity and real work if they're available to you, um, just because you might disagree on some aspects of um, someone's political ideology. So um, that is all. I will be playing the scum episode. I'll be talking a little bit about what's on the docket for the next couple of months at the end of the pod, and I hope you guys enjoy. Thank you. 
Hi, everyone. I'm here uh, with feminist hardcore band uh, Scum. Um, everyone, if you don't mind introducing yourselves, um, telling us a little bit about your band and um, the kind of uh, music you've been making. Uh, I'm Abigail, and I play bass. I'm Madeline, and I'm the guitarist. I'm Kayla, and I'm the vocalist. And I'm Mac, and I play the drums. And uh, we got started because I really wanted to make a feminist band for a very long time. And every so often, I would post on some of my social media and be like, someone please start a band with me. And then false starts would happen a bunch and go nowhere. And then one time, Mac was like, I have drums, and I think I can keep a beat. And then, yeah, that, that, that's it. <laughs> and that's really how Scum came to be. Um, I had played in bands before, um, and Kayla had seen me before, and uh, we ran into each other, and she just thought of asking me, because um, she had liked my previous bands, and my previous band was playing a lot of bills where it would be like, 10 bands and all of them would be like completely guys so i think i kind of stood out in that sense and it was uh, easy to find people with common interests yeah and for me everyone else in the band is like kind of from the same like small town but um, i moved here knowing nobody and i completely like met kayla by chance at another punk gig and i played bass before but never in a band and i like, hadn't picked it up in a few years so yeah it was cool to get back into it that's really cool. Did um did the politics come like before the music? Yeah, because I joined the band because Kayla and I went to like a feminist protest together and like got talking. And part of why I asked Maddie is because she made a really specific feminist joke at a party like a year prior to that show, and I was like, no one would know about that like niche discourse, <laughs> like <laughs> if they weren't as into feminism as I am. But no, that was I like. It wasn't like I would try to start a band and then I had a bunch of false starts. It was specifically a feminist band because I had, like, a lot of shit to say. And I think the punk scene in particular desperately needed it because I was going a little crazy, especially during the pandemic. I was a women's studies major. <laughs> um, so I had always had a large interest in feminism and especially feminist music um, pretty much since I was, like, in middle school. Um so I was very excited for a chance to take all that stuff that I had liked for almost a decade and actually do it myself instead of just listening to other bands and being able to have our own more modern perspective on it because I feel like there's not a lot of recent feminist artists that really have like blown up like the ones in the past. Yeah. And a lot's changed since Bikini Kill, <laughs> just in the world. Feminist punk is not new. But it's also not something that's, like, it's not really a musical force right now, you know, in the world. Like, you guys stand alone with, like, a small pocket of, like, other bands that I know of. Like, what do you kind of make of the sort of decline of that, like, genre? I mean, there wasn't, like, a huge boom until Riot Girl, And I think that, I mean, I, I probably should have referenced it. We do have a zine. <laughs> And that first, like, chunk of the zine, I talk about it a lot. I think that Riot Girl politics make a lot of sense for their time, but I think it was kind of inevitable that there would be sort of a decline in that way because they're very, very liberal in their feminism. Yeah, it's just, like, the kind of need for those sorts of politics kind of fizzled out, too. So you, like, settled into, like, the normalcy of anti-feminist media and backlash and stuff being, like, 
kind of like a cultural norm and now everyone's sort of lost trying to bring it back i mean there's certainly a resurgence of attempts at it but it makes sense that it fizzled out when it did and it makes sense that like there were only a few pockets here and there that weren't riot girl feminists in punk before that you know and i think it's kind of a double question because i guess one question is like sort of Kayla's talking about how did the politics change but also it's what is considered I guess edgy music or what's popular and like feels edgy among young people and I think there's so many different genres like if we're talking about weird stuff like really weird stuff that like you know 19 year olds are into now you have stuff like 100 gex or it's just punk isn't the only sort of thing on people's radar like that now. And I mean, I, I, know, I guess I'm not saying it very well, but I guess sounds go in and out of style. There's not a lot of political bands right now in general. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's a big part of it is that um, a lot of the punk bands, and especially like hardcore punk bands, um, aren't political. I think a lot of music in the 90s is kind of unique in that. Um, but I mean, if you just look at any of the popular hardcore bands or punk adjacent bands, nobody's really doing stuff like a... Like, Bikini Kill or, like, Earth Crisis is doing with veganism. Like, artists might be political, but there's not a lot of overtly political music. A lot of people in the music scene, sort of across genres, seem to be really into the idea of music as a form of, like, emotional escapism and less as, like, a vehicle for change. I know that that's not, like, a value judgment. It's just, like, I've seen a lot of people, like, across varying genres talk about music as escapism waxes and wanes because you know there's a lot of really political music in like the 60s like late 60s and 70s and like we said in the 90s and it's kind of interesting because you think that sort of the iraq war bush era would have had like a lot of political music but it didn't so i guess sort of how people view media you know either as escapism or a way to make a statement i guess that kind of waxes and wanes and changes over time and people play like political shows but um the thing is is just like we try to get across a message in the music that people listen to. Like, if somebody's never going to sit down and read Dworkin in their life, um, they might still listen to our album and then hear a lot more Dworkin. Just to hear her voice, literally. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, um for us, a lot of taking what we want to get across to people and using the avenue we have to force people to listen to it, really through music like if we show up at your show and start playing you have to hear what we're gonna say yeah that is cool how has how has navigating your local music scene like what has that experience been like for you like have have you felt that you've encountered unique problems because of your political orientation um shockingly no i have to say that like i expected there i expected to get the feminist ban treatment but we haven't really. Um, I also want to say, though, that there's... It seems like a lot of people don't really listen to everything that we say either. Um, because then, like, sometimes they'll try to talk afterwards about the politics I got a show, and they will just be saying things that are kind of completely antithetical to what I have just yelled about on stage. And it's like, oh, you just kind of assumed what my politics were. And you couldn't tell what was going on. But, I mean, we did try to clear that up some, like, with the zine and stuff. So it's not like there's, like, a complete deficit. Plus, there's been, like, a huge shift in general. I think that, like, we have reached a lot of people in, like, very specific ways, at least. I think it's kind of a mixed bag. I do say that across the board, I am surprised that we didn't get, like, the bleeders treatment, though. People have a narrow view of feminism, though. I feel like, um... 
when people yeah hear that we're feminists or whatever or you know get that from our music then they just kind of see it as this like very hegemonic ideology and put very basis like i don't know the basis of the beliefs are similar but they put very certain modern touch points on our ideology and kind of round that out i think people um for the most part just don't have a very good understanding of feminism and the wide range of things that it discusses and encounters well which is why i'm so glad when people come up to me after shows and try to talk about the politics because even though the thing does happen where i'm like oh you didn't hear a word i say i more nicely than that kind of point that out and then we talk about it at length and of course like face to face even if someone does disagree they never say that to me (laughs) they're never mean about it person people are a lot more civil and understanding and they see that you know you are a human you're not you don't mean ill i mean it's so different from interacting with people online yeah i think uh, the closest thing to a negative reaction we ever got in real life is at that show in i think it was the one in bethlehem pennsylvania when we sold that one couple our zine and then we watched them walk away as they were reading and they like made a face Oh, but yeah. But that was it. That was, <laughs> that was it. Well, yeah, it was because they had come. They even told us that they had, like, driven from, like, an hour away or something. Because, like, we heard there was a feminist band. And then they... Is that the same couple? I thought it was. Or, oh. I don't think... I think only Maddie and I were at the table for that. But... Okay, okay. I think no, that. but, yeah, they had, like... They <laughs> we were like, oh, I think they thought we were a different type of feminist when they walked up and saw the Garfield on the cover. We also ended up on a weird bills like weird shows um just because people don't know what to make with the band really so um there's not a lot of other feminist bands around here like we played with the bleeders there was that band that popped up for like a couple months called femicide that we didn't get to play with and then they vanished and who the fuck else exactly so <laughs> yeah it's like we you get put on um very like kind of more like beat down hardcore thrash hardcore uh shows just because uh the people who make that music also like our music which is cool but uh, (laughs) to get thrown on bills with bands that have like other political stuff like we played with um black vapor before like there are other bands in the scene that do other political things it's just like in terms of like the specific politics we're going over there is like literally just one other band which i think i mean i'm grateful for anyway because like you wouldn't think there'd be any i don't know Are they just a woman bill? <laughs> like, oh, they'll put this folk singer and this DJ and this, like, <laughs> yeah. punk band all in the same bill because these are all the women artists we know. Yeah. yeah, that's happened. Or, like, the moment that I remember that's, like, really, like, our music getting through to people or getting a reaction out of people is um, we were pay- playing that show that was in, it was a bookstore in State College. Yeah. And I remember, because we have the song, we have Scorn Hub, and Kayla oh, had bullied that guy on accident. Kayla will sometimes, like, yeah, she'll, like, explain the song. We playing, uh, at our local shows anymore, I don't do it, because everyone knows the thing. But before Scorn Hub, I'd give a speech, and it was because it was, just, like, this huge fucking problem for a long time, which is what we talk about in Just Scorn with the person who is not here, so I'm not going to elaborate too much on that one. But we talk about this thing where forever, because I've been in the punk scene for a long time, I would go to a show, and dudes would bust out the Pornhub riff like it was some big joke, and it was like a whole thing. So I would do a little speech every time, like right before we played Scornhub, but at that show that she's talking about, this guy, like, the whole time I was talking about was like, fuck yeah, like, fuck, like, woo, Pornhub, or whatever, and then I finished the speech, and he, like, he literally said, oh, like, audibly, like, looked down, and, like, walked away because well, I, I remember i he didn't even walk away immediately because i remember making eye contact with him while like you know playing and he just had this horrified like white-faced look on him 
And it's like one of those things. They call themselves out. It's so funny. Yeah, like they realize, like, I even saw him mouth, like, oh shit, like he realized he did something awful. And that's like what we're here for. It's like a person who didn't understand the context. When we used to do our slash relationships live, our second show ever, someone kept giggling. Someone I know too. Someone kept giggling throughout it. And Maddie, over top all the instruments and my vocals, screams, it's a song about marital rape, it's not fucking funny, and then everyone was dead silent. Oh, Even else we just said, yeah. yeah, you weren't in the van, yeah, it was like... So we do end up bullying the audience sometimes, but only when they deserve it, and we don't get in trouble for it. <laughs> and the audience being guys who, if you ask them, they probably think they're doing the right thing and have yeah. the right opinions and are, like, the best women respecters in the scene. Yeah. The amount of hate or public backlash that you get from kind of, you know, doing something that's different feels so much more intensified online. Um, But a lot of people, like, who actually show up to those kinds of events, like, aren't interested in, you know, harassing people. I mean, some of them are. I think they're just really, truly oblivious because they're on drugs. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. That's another problem in the scene, but (laughs) it's true of the ones that are there to try to listen and learn even if they have different takes they're still trying to listen and learn and can recognize when someone is not malicious or actually problematic or whatever it's just a party culture with the scene um people go to a lot of times go to shows to you know party and then we're like oh we're forcing you to learn things you know what true they are there to party but and we force them to learn things whatever but they don't put on like that like they act like them participating in punk shows is activism so like at minimum you're going to have to learn something if you're going to act that way yeah but it's like you're i don't know if it's activism to just drink a six-pack natty bone and beat the shit out of your no, friends objectively not but like <laughs> at five, least five, like six. scoot you a little closer to having like good takes at minimum maybe inspire you to do some activism give you something to be oh my mad God, about just, like mk altering our audience where we like <laughs> we get them when they're weak and intoxicated and we give them new ideas <laughs> I like what you said about vibes politics. That was pretty funny. <laughs> vibes politics, you know, it's like this, this, this thing looks edgy, so it must politically be edgy. And it's like, well, I mean, look at all of the like late 90s, like hardcore guys who just have like kids in private school now. That is fair. Um, so what kinds of works of theory do you think has inspired you the most or influenced you the most? I mean, Maddie and I first technically bonded over dialectic of sex. But I think, like, our number one gal is Dworkin. Multiple works of hers for me. Top three is probably woman hating, right-wing women, and pornography. But anyone else can speak. <laughs> um, again, like she mentioned, right-wing women um, by Andrea Dworkin and um, Dialogue Sex by Shulamith Firestone um, are both works that I think influenced me because I read them at the same time. And they have a lot of conflicting ideologies that I still both like respect and um you know think critically about both of them neither of them are you know flawless works but again that has to do with the fact they're written in a completely different world than what we're living in right now um I mean that's how I also feel about like bell hooks like I think she was a brilliant feminist mind and I still like recommend a lot of her works to people but I also disagree on a lot of stuff that she says and feminism is for everybody yeah, um, I'm not quite as well read. Um, I remember reading like the first probably real feminist work I read was Dialectic of Sex, Chill in the Firestone. 
It's, it's always it's yeah, always it's the first one. I don't know why, because it's such a heavy-handed one. It's only because it's such a lightning rod, because you just read it, and it's just it's it's so interesting to think that that was written in like what 1969, 1970. The 70. Yeah. The 50-year ridicule blew my fucking mind, and I reference it so much to this day because it's happening again. It's the 20s. We're back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and honestly, for me, um, I'm really interested in cross-cultural comparison and sociology and i think kind of the best way to sort of draw conclusions around the world is to look at what are commonalities and differences between different cultures so unfortunately you know i'm not in college anymore so i don't have access to all the academic journals but i would really like to read about okay what are like the worst cultures historically for women what are the best ones what does that say about humans um, and I've always kind of valued that more even than theory, is reading about, well, you know, there's this ethnic group in China, the most slow, where they don't have a concept of marriage, they're completely matrilocal, and it's probably the closest society, or one of the closest societies to being a matriarchy in the world. I think theory is my jumping point for learning about a lot of those things, but yeah, I think that's obviously important, too. <laughs> So. We should also bring up Kimberly Crenshaw, considering we literally just saw her in person, like, less than a week ago. <laughs> yeah, um, Kayla and I just saw Kimberly Crenshaw speak at Red, um, Emma's. Red Emma's, which is an Argus bookstore and vegan cafe in Baltimore. Um, and it was very, very wild to drive, like, ten minutes from our houses and, um, sit 10 feet away from Kimberly Crenshaw um if that <laughs> yeah it was it was a very somber talk that she was doing um she had mothers of women and uh black sister. women yeah mother and one sister of a uh, black women who were murdered by the police um share their stories and so that was you know just incredible to be in the room for to have a place in Baltimore where we have a you know, a intimate cafe setting that has events like that for free. Um, because Kayla and I were talking about, other than Kimberly Crenshaw, we don't really know who's still around and lecturing who's worth seeing. Um, I think there's just been such a huge lack of investment in women's studies. Um, it's upsetting to see just because, like, the world is different. I think a lot of stuff happened in the... 80s 90s 2000s where it was like okay we kind of won and then things got complacent the 50-year ridicule yes <laughs> describing the 50-year ridicule um as outlined by shalom's firestone but that's really what's happened um i don't know something i just, just feel like isn't common anymore there's not a lot of academic spaces left on the left that are accessible or engaging or uh just not like welcoming places um so yeah we really enjoyed seeing kimberly crenshaw and especially getting to experience that in Baltimore was incredible that's really cool um yeah i'm i'm so glad you had that experience i've had um similar moments i met marilyn fry this summer and it was also like oh my god like i can't believe this is happening um I also wanted to talk about like some of the personal experiences that formed your work, like to the extent which in with your which you're comfortable. Um, there are two spoken word sections um, on your album, and um, they talk about like personal experiences um, and like tell stories that either you've experienced or like have witnessed via the internet um, that are supposed to share this kind of like 
um, collective truth about like women's experiences today. Do you want to talk a little bit about like what like living as a, a person who experiences misogyny and how that's influenced like not only like your decisions musically, but also like the emotional energy that like, you're like able to bring when you guys perform and make music. Well, in terms of those two things, um, what's okay. So what started me complaining got what gave me the courage. Oh, sorry, I'll put it that way. What gave me the courage to talk about the 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 Pornhub riff thing at shows and stuff was talking to the one friend that I talked to in that clip. I said I wasn't going to go into too much more detail because again, that person is not here. But um, talking to them and then going, I, it gave me this like thought. I started like looking around whenever it happened at a show, and I saw that like a lot of women and girls were like looking down, looking uncomfortable, I, like straight face sometimes, you know. Very rarely were they giggling along. So I started like approaching them about it and asking. And my whole thing is that I got like a bunch of trauma dumping essentially a bunch of horrific experiences anywhere from like revenge porn or child porn of them being uploaded to Pornhub to like experiences of like abuse through like a, a porn addicted partner essentially but they didn't even have the language to describe that they're just like oh I have like negative connotations but like I don't even know like if I almost like they weren't allowed to feel that way and it made me really mad and there was like not it made me that much more aware of how like there was absolutely no female class solidarity at all in the scene like it was bad so that that definitely inspired a lot of anger knowing that it wasn't just me and it wasn't just my friend who had been through a horrific experience it was like literally the majority of women and girls who've had some kind of horrific experience it's not just you know a statistic online and it's not just me and my one friend it's strangers women that i do not know just confiding this to me because i'm asking and i'm this might be their only chance to talk about it type deal you know yeah so there was that um and by the time i was already fueled with rage um the i had a concept that was somewhat similar to the r slash relationship song where i was going to just describe a very similar scenario but i was reading something or like i read like one of those jokes about like women on r slash relationships versus men slash on r slash relationships or whatever and i was like damn that's true and i was like i wonder if i could like just go on one of those subreddits and pluck one of those out and use it as a spoken word thing and i did exactly that it took me less than a minute to find that one to be all doomery but it was just like point proven to a t like it, it took me less than a minute to find horrific abuse against a woman on one of those like um subreddits so it just yeah it fueled a whole lot of rage and anger <laughs> i was gonna say like the stuff that makes me want to do this music in my own personal life is just that um i think similar to as i said like feminism as a whole every time i get in a place where like things are really good i start feeling a little complacent um you know, like Roe v. Wade gets overturned, or I was just saying before we started recording, um, I'm getting my wisdom teeth out next week, and the doctor who's supposed to be cutting open my mouth um, asked me about my college majors, and I told him uh, that one of my majors was women's studies, and he just starts doing, women's studies? What about men's studies? And going on about that in a way that I'm clearly uncomfortable. Um, all of the staff is like half his age, all women who are half his age they're just giggling along with his jokes um so he's making fun of me and my life choices 
and I had to pay $300 for the privilege of that visit and then let that man cut open my mouth next week. Um, so I just feel like that's just how my life has felt to this point, and I'm sure a lot of other women's lives too, is that, um, you know, no matter how good things are going or how good we even make this for ourselves, you know, surrounding ourselves with uh, female musicians and artists and um, having like-minded friends, I have to venture out into the real world and be reminded that men think that's an acceptable way to act. Yeah, I think I think it's really important to be angry. I think even before I really got into feminism in the way that I have now, I felt that way. I remember there was this Tumblr post that circulated probably close to 10 years ago now. But it was one of those ones I'd see a screenshot of, like, shared on other social medias. And it was, like, this post that was, like, a historical fact about how there was a point in time in some area where, like, women's couldn't, women couldn't ride on trains because men said that their uteruses would fly out due to the speed. And then there was this reblog comment that was always tacked onto, it was always tacked on, and it made me mad, where it was like, oh, I have so much respect for historical women for not, like, freaking out on every man they know. And I, like, I don't know why that always pissed me off, because, I mean, I don't, not, like, raging against those historical women necessarily but it's like i don't respect the complacency that led us to still be like so a subordinate class now i think that that attitude just being like oh it's such a virtue to not react to like the most like horrific shit happening to you or even just menially horrific shit happening um it's not a virtue i don't think it is at all I don't think it's a good thing. I think that if women were actually fucking pissed off and acted even half as, with half as much rage as men do, uh, we would not still be in the boat that we are in now. Yeah, I don't know how anybody can see that and think that, like you said, it's a virtue instead of um, feeling sorry for women and not in a pitying way, but acknowledging them as fellow victims of the patriarchy. And I mean, truly victims not just uh, that there is the patriarchy and then there is women um but how that interacts the attitude that like it is like a good virtuous thing to just be submissive to it i think is something that like gets instilled in us just through little things like that and it's what repeats the cycle and it makes me crazy and i always feel good being part of something that I felt like I really needed when I was younger, which is a bunch of women getting on stage and making music and just like being really badass and, you know, not trying to be sexy or super cutesy with it, you know, just getting up there and rocking out. And I think there's a sense of mourning um, where, you know, 90, 90, 95% of history is about men written by men. I mean, women were just secondary characters at best until very recently. And I think there's just the morning of wondering, you know, how many women had the minds to be Einsteins but weren't? How many women had the potential to be playwrights, artists, but, you know, instead they were, like, dying of childbirth at 21? And, you know, you think about what our grandmothers even went through. And I think that there is a lot of mourning, and I think part of the healing is seeing women take the roles in the world that aren't, you know, traditionally what was accepted for us. That's what pisses me off about, like, the pseudo-left and stuff, is, uh, everybody becomes, like, a Camille Paglia fan now, and, um, 
like how she didn't say, oh, well, there's a reason. Why wasn't there ever a female Mozart? And it's like, are you being willfully ignorant? Like, just absolutely obtuse. Um, yeah, she was scrubbing underwear in the river. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so I think there is just so many, uh, so much sexism in the world, so much intellectual sexism, um, where there's really no good escape for it now. Um, just as bad as ever, masking is better. But um, this is like the fourth time we've brought up the 50-year ridicule. <laughs> I just can't drive that point home. No one has to read all of the dialectic of sex, but just read that chunk. If you take nothing else home, (laughs) read that chunk. Yeah, I mean, I think think you're right. Anger is such a, like, boundary-setting emotion. And it's really something that, like, I feel like presupposes one's autonomy and sovereignty over themselves. Um, And I think that's such a res- like a response that's been like so intensely conditioned out of women and it's so important to kind of like reclaim that as like innate and healthy you know and natural and like even fun you know there are women making feminist music now um but a lot of them aren't like in a punk space you know and i think that there's a kind of emotional velocity that gets i agree lost. i mean i enjoy other feminist artists but like I don't know. Folk music isn't really my thing, and I don't like a lot of pop. Not to be a hater, I just don't tend to like a lot of modern sounds in pop. So, like, I mean, sometimes I find stuff that I like, but it's true. It's just kind of isn't necessarily my jam, and I think it's also important to have some diversity in the sounds. Plus, I'm, like, angry. I couldn't make any other kind of music about this stuff. Yeah, I was gonna say, the feminine rage doesn't really work with, like, Fleetwood Mac riffs, you know. Like, I like tons of different, you know, genres of music. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I can't imagine conveying our message through any other, really. I was thinking about this last night, actually, um, because I was listening to No Doubt, which was, like, one of my favorite bands when I was, like, a kid. Um, And kind of thinking about how Gwen Stefani was like a huge role model for me growing up and now I don't she's a very different kind of artist and I think um just a different type of celebrity and I also feel that way about Grimes um she was hugely influential on my 2013 Tumblr feminism and now uh she's kind of abandoned the whole thing and I also kind of feel that way about Bikini Kill in a sense. We still love them. I still love their music. Um, Kayla, Mac, and I saw Bikini Kill earlier this year, and Kayla and I saw La Tigra. Um, and those were both incredible experiences. But like the more that I get into the politics, specifically of Bikini Kill. Yeah, I was going to say, no, La Tigra kind of still goes off. <laughs> yeah. But the politics of Bikini Kill and stuff, I'm kind of let down um, just because I think I was a. Uh, big fan when I was in a more naive place in my feminism because I was also like a teenager. But um I feel like it's just meaningful to make music feeling the specific way that I do for this time, um, and finding women who also feel the same way to surround myself with because um there's really no celebrity role models I feel like have actually that have actually stuck with feminism without abandoning it for some like girl boss like Yas Queen eyeliner sharp enough to stab the patriarchy <laughs> um type of like bastardized online feminism. 
don't necessarily blame those women who kind of went that route for that either. Like, I get why if you're, like, the only one doing it, the desire to, like... Or maybe the, just, like, the second-guessing yourself. I think it's kind of, like, a caveat of female socialization to be like, wait, am I wrong? You know? So, I like, I don't know. I don't blame them for that, but it is kind of tiring when you do see someone who had, like, good takes suddenly be like, never mind. I don't think that happens super often, though. No, I just feel like I've, uh, kind of cherry-picked examples, but also because those are all things that are super, super meaningful to me. That gift set of Grimes talking about how she didn't shave her legs, uh, super meaningful to me a decade ago, and now it's like... No, yeah, I I was thinking about that, too, because I really liked Alicia Keys, like, avid no-makeup thing, and now she's got her own beauty products line. I think, um, the (laughs) Get the Bag Queen, uh, capitalist leftism... Leftism in air quotes, sorry. Um, really just this, like, uh, capitalist liberalism, I don't know, has kind of diluted all the things that I felt were meaningful. It just really sped up, I feel like, in our lifetimes. Well, I, I mean, that's why I refer to it specifically as, like, rad lib, like, as radical liberalism, because it's not just, like, it's not your daddy's liberalism. It's different. It's, like... They, like, these people think that they have radicalized in a sense. They think that they are now leftist because they are a different type of liberal. They do not align with, like, Hillary Clinton-type liberalism. They are different. So they Kathleen think- Hannah does. <laughs> well, okay, no, yeah, bad example on her part, but I mean just, like, in more general terms, even just, like, in the, in the punk scene, like, going back to that, uh, that is, like, a huge problem where, like, people think that they are now leftist because they recognize the flaws in, like, classical liberalism and do not align with the right. And so the internet was like, the word for that is leftism. And they're like, shit, I guess I'm a socialist. They're not. They haven't read a lick of theory. Not that you necessarily have to be, like, an expert in theory, but they haven't read a lick. And they don't know the actual core tenets of it. They just know what tweets they have read, what TikToks they have seen claiming to be that way. And so we do have this huge issue where, like, I think that the biggest reason that, like, we have seen this, like, huge corporatist co-option of, like, feminism, and not even just feminism, like, even just, like, I don't know, like, gay rights or, like, the Black Lives Matter movement has been, like, so heavily co-opted in a lot of ways for this reason because, like, it's easy to market to people who think that they are above that, who think that, like, you can market to people who don't think that they are being marketed to anymore. Nothing in your life will change, but you will be able to buy Pride merch at Target. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, America top with is the idea that I will be as radical as possible as long as I don't have to give anything up ever. Like, I always use the example of, like, we're going to smash capitalism, but still have, like, overnight Amazon deliveries. Like, I think people are very uncomfortable with the idea of having to confront um, their comfort zone and having to, like, materially give things up. I think it's kind of, like, double that with feminism in particular just because like we were on such an anti-feminist upswing if you will still in the dregs of that the 50-year ridicule kind where we kind of like had complacency mixed with like the regular type of anti-feminist media coming at us from all sides um and so i think that it is just that much worse now really like uh two generations of women's rights uh you know, that I was born into a world with 
abortion protections and my mother was you know a very small child when that happened like we have now several generations of women who have uh, existed under this world where there were protections and stuff that I feel like I almost took for granted and that's just pulled out from under us and we were all mad as hell at first I mean I'm we're still mad but it just becomes something that nobody talks about anymore um as soon as the next tragedy occurs and um that's the really scary thing that i'm wondering how many events have to happen between that before people forget about it yeah, um because there's so many people 10 years ago saying stuff like i'll ride in the streets and be like breaking windows if rover gets overturned and then you know road did get overturned and we're all just kind of standing here not that no one's doing important work and, you know, I've like protested, but it's just, yeah, like Maddie said, it's very scary how quick it just kind of becomes the reality. Well, I think that it's also true with the fact that there was like no feminist consciousness, complacency mixed with the like anti-feminist ideas throughout the culture in which like people could be like, oh, yeah, well, Roe is like the baseline. Like we all understand that that's important. But like when it comes down to it. There's no, like, big major feminist organizations that actually have any, like, I don't want to say goals. Goals isn't the word, but any... Political sway? Any impact on any, the world? Any impact, but any plan. There's no plan. I mean, the most, the biggest, most well-known feminist organization, if you can even call it that, around today is the Women's March, and they're bullshit. They're, like liberal feminist hell they don't do anything except for organize a march sometimes that also has insane rules like no hanger imagery or no handmaid's tail outfits sometimes because like there's some technicality where that may be seen as problematic like i don't think the people we're protesting against are going to look at that and be like they don't do anything they almost feel like a psyop sometimes there's just nothing. There's no class consciousness. There's no proper organizations. There's just... What always gets me when you see stuff like the Women's March or, like, other oh, a lot of uh, pro-abortion um, marches and stuff, it's sort of, like, the weird, like, BuzzFeed millennial cutesiness that, like, everyone's sign will be, like, some sort of pun or, like, get your paws off my draws. Yeah. And, like, can you imagine seeing that at, like, Black Lives Matter? It just seems to be, like, not taking the women's issue seriously yeah or sort of the idea that you have to make it about being the funniest person in the room or like your sign going viral yeah there's just more drama about like splitting hairs over how you're supposed to discuss this or what vocabulary to use and um i just feel like a lot of that detracts from actual action of course it does (laughs) um i don't know seeing any movement that should be taking traction just cannibalize itself over uh Stuff that isn't very important and, like, at no point does it uh, make an actual impact or change anybody's opinions. Positively. Yeah, Kayla and I have talked about this and that there's um, productive ways to have online discourse and there's, like, the owning the right way to have discourse. And um, sometimes that just gets lost online, especially with, I don't know how many opinions people are changing by just getting online and being really mad and then uh posting a meme about it yeah posting a meme about it being smarmy about it um it just feels frustrating that anytime you try to talk about something meaningful it's just talking in circles with somebody who already has set opinions 
Well, like, it's not even that because, again, when we have talked about this, like, when I argue, I argue because, like, it's an ape. I don't argue in the DMs. I argue on, like, a public forum because if there is someone who is not entirely swayed on a given issue, if they're, like, just reading this out of curiosity, they're just being nosy, like, whatever, and they see, like, a well-constructed argument versus other person, like, I, I, you can make the difference that way to some degree. I think that that's not a bad thing to do. But what I'd never do if someone pisses me off and says something stupid and I don't have the time to construct an argument is post a reaction meme bullying them. I don't do that because that doesn't do anything but make me look like a jackass to the onlooker. It doesn't change the mind of the person I'm arguing with and it doesn't change the mind of an onlooker. It doesn't sway anyone. It just makes me look like a jackass. And I see people on like, obviously that I agree with, do it all the time. But it pisses me off when they do it, too. Even if it's funny. Like, it's... It just... I think it's more harmful than anything. I think that, like, we're kind of living in deeply conservative times, and a lot of people don't realize it. And it does not help to, like, if the only means of engaging with this stuff is to be a jackass about it. I mean, we're living in very deeply conservative times with a very, very thin veneer of liberalism over it. Um, that has to be leftism so you can't do any actual leftist organizing or else the liberals will be mad at you. That has a lot of people fooled. No radicals here, only us. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm so grateful that social media has gotten the word out about, like, all of these different ideas and like people talking about the actual conditions of their lives and like kind of connecting people who are interested in social change to like people who are a little bit more knowledgeable about it but like the format of social media is so superficial that i think it like just kind of makes it creates this idea like it's like the junk food of information you know like people are getting kind of inundated with these like quote-unquote like radical messages but like they don't understand the like logic behind them they haven't studied anything they actually don't know like the theory cons and concepts behind the ideas they're absorbing so then you get like completely brain dead people who just like regurgitate whatever they see on twitter i feel like tiktok is has to be literally the worst thing for that um, yeah because it kills your attention span on top of it too and it just yeah. it just delivers viewpoints to you that uh you possibly never would have sought out on your own mm -hmm. um but it also really specifically delivers rage bait to you um so i i can't think of anything really more evil than just having this you know but um that there is just an algorithm that is like hell-bent on people the most amount of people seeing different things and a lot of that is based off of okay you want arguments in the comments so you just get the worst stuff. It's not good for, I think, anybody's mental health, really. And it's scary to me that um, you just get propaganda, like, literally delivered to you. And in the way that in the past, like, if they're giving you propaganda on the news, I think people would have the wherewithal to think, like, okay, well, what does this, like multi-billion dollar news network what are their best interests versus any type of account that pops up on tiktok um i think it's a lot harder for people to differentiate between what's propaganda and what's not and um yeah 
And it's also just, like, strange, you know? Like, I'm convinced that the people that you had mentioned who come up to your shows, like, thinking that you agree with, like, their particular take on politics, like, I feel like that's such a product of social media, you know, because you're in such an echo chamber. And there's these, like, totalizing assumptions that, like, all good people have to have, like, this and this take, you know, like, any disagreement must mean that, like, you're a bad person. Yeah, I've never experiences where like in my office setting I have like friends in my office that are my age and occasionally I'll say something like super leftist and they'll just kind of be like what and I'm like oh yeah just because we like vibe together and are the same age and from the same place uh it doesn't necessarily mean like we automatically have the same opinions yeah. like, it's very easy to fall into that since you know all my all my other friends have those opinions basically and I definitely feel like people just are very susceptible to just getting one side of the story, whichever side is delivered to them the fastest, um, without any deeper looking into that. A sponsored Prager you ad. <laughs> like, that's another thing about I mean, social media, is that just there's so much right-wing money in there, and, like, you will just, like, if the algorithm finds out your mail, it'll just, like, deliver you Jordan Peterson videos and shit. Oh, yeah. I get a lot of Tradboy videos. Oh, yeah, um, it's like, I like cooking, so they're like, do you want to follow this Mormon mom and her six kids? I'm like, no, I just want to break bread. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and it can totally, like, distort your idea of reality and, like, your understanding of, like, political change and how, like, actually making that happen, like, works. Yeah, so speaking of online movements, um, do you guys identify as fourth-wave feminists? Like, what do you think of this kind of concept that, like, feminists online should be, like, self-consciously recreating themselves as, like, a successor to third-wave feminism? And, like, what do you, if fourth-wave feminism is something that exists, like, do you guys think that, like, what do you guys think that its kind of core tenet should be? Do we identify with it explicitly? No. I think if we ever go anywhere with any of our activisms, be it as scum or as individual people, looking back will probably be quantified that way just because there's been a huge uptick, finally, 50-year ridicule, of feminist activism and stuff over the internet, especially, yeah. Um... I I tend to have mixed feelings about naming waves and stuff as is because I feel like we have this issue where like a wave comes up and then it subsides in a way that not that is kind of unique to feminism and I think that the expectation that it will work that way does not work in our favor. Um but I mean like I don't necessarily not identify with it either like if someone said that I was a part of like a fourth wave I would not be bothered by it it's hard for me to say I was trying to look into this like a long time ago just because I was like wondering if like the resurgence of feminism but like kind of like a mix of second wave with some very new stuff type of ideas popping up um would be branded in a new way um but when I was trying to look into fourth wave feminism like three years ago I would say now two or three years ago um there's already, like, a wiki for it, and it just described, like, the sad, pathetic drags of third-wave feminism in 2010, and I was like, okay, well, whatever. <laughs> but I don't think most people think of that in that way. I think you're right. Like, there should be some kind of, like, ideological shift. I think that 
if there is a quote, if there's going to be a quantified fourth wave coming on, um, and we're going to describe it that way, I think it'll be characterized by um, a backlash to uh, porn and the sex trade. And, I mean, it, I think it'll mimic a lot of second wave ideals, but with a very, very modern lens, because so much has changed in the last half century. I think that there will be a lot of things that need change. I think a more genuinely intersectional lens will, you know, come into play. And I think that, I mean, there are things that, like, some of these women who were, like, writing theory 50 years ago couldn't have dreamt up. You know, Andrea Dworkin was criticizing the type of porn that was out in the 70s, but she could not have, like, possibly considered that, like, nearly every male in this country would have a little computer in their pockets that could just instantly give them free, like, pornography that is, like, the most hardcore shit imaginable, like, within seconds, and, like, loads of it. At a really young age. At a really young age. I think that it's, like... I think that a lot of the analyses of the past are coming back into play because we threw them out over the guise of choice, <laughs> over very, like, liberal ideals, but I think that there's, like, new modern problems that need to be considered kind of like that, even if they're partially addressed by some old stuff. I don't really participate in um, online feminist spaces. Um... That's smart. Yeah. Because <laughs> like I said, I think the echo chamber, I think the propaganda works both ways. Um, but I also am blessed to have a strong group of women in my IRL life um, where I don't need to seek out those communities online. Um, and I get to have them off the computer. But I just feel like it is useful to have spaces online, even if they're not explicitly feminist. Um, I've had a much better time online when my circles are pretty much exclusively women or, uh, you know, queer men as well. Um, basically, anytime I go online and I'm in a place online that straight men don't touch, my life gets infinitely better. So even while I don't really participate in um, any, I feel like, Mod, like defined feminist spaces, especially online, um, or really any large groups outside of again more of like an intimate friend group or kind of just a connection of women artists, um, that, like friends of friends. Um, I've never felt like I haven't benefited from being around women. I also really like to surround myself with just women. It's the only thing Mac has said the whole time. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I'm not very, um, I guess I'm not really very well read on feminist theory at all, really. But I am very angry about, you know, all pretty much all of the feminist issues. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that I really like being in a feminist band because I am a huge feminist. <laughs> Admittedly, even though I could be better well read. It's on my list, you know. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. I think that's kind of one of the main tenets of Scum as well that we didn't bring up was that, um, like Abigail said, hadn't played bass in a couple of years. I hadn't played guitar, guitar in close in close to a decade. Um, when Kayla asked me, she just lied to me. I said, "Can you play guitar?" She said, "Yeah." I, mean, I that, did play it in middle school. So she was like, "I've been a guitar owner for nearly a decade, but a guitar player for about two weeks." 
so and again like mac really learned to play drums with this band um like had been teaching herself and hadn't had a band to play with so um that's kind of a core tenet of scum is that yeah, we are doing it for the love of the game <laughs> i love women I, I couldn't like play for shit when i joined the band either and i think that that's something like that was so important too is i feel like a lot of like the reason why there aren't that many women in the punk scene or like i guess any music scene is because like you sort of get the feeling where if you aren't like proficient when you're 15 you just kind of get iced out of musician spaces well that's like, because if, men bully you yeah well yeah yeah you're not supposed you're not supposed to be a beginner when you're 22 yeah. And I've never... You're supposed to be beginning when you're 12. <laughs> I've never felt... Yeah. I've never felt embarrassed um, playing poorly or anything in front of women or majority women crowds. Um, It was usually when there were men around that I would get criticism or feel um, like I was doing something wrong. I've never seen a woman put another woman down for putting herself out there and doing something she enjoys. Yeah, because that's something I realized is, like, in high school and stuff, I thought that I didn't like playing with other people, but I figured I just didn't like playing with men. Like, because, you know, like, you come to Scum and, you know, it's not who can do the most epic baking guitar solo. It's, like, us just being, like, we fucking love music. Let's talk about it. Let's play it. Yeah, I mean, that's... Abigail replaced our original bassist, who was a dude, just because he was, like, a placeholder. And it's amazing, the shift, how practice became stressful and upsetting and full of fights and then abigail was there instead of him we were just like we love doing this this is so much fun (laughs) (laughs) so basically we just need to like stay away from men a lot (laughs) or just like i think it is important to just make time in your life that is explicitly just female yeah Yeah. i just i just enjoy it a lot um it's a boy that i I think you don't really realize what you're missing until you have that. That is so true. Where you're hanging out with women and you're, like, passing the Bechdel test, you know? <laughs> the show that we just did where we had the, uh, where we were playing Rebel and you had all the girls come to the oh, front. Oh, yeah. yeah. That song went, like, the the crowd, I think, was, like, going the hardest during that. that... I love seeing did... the girls in the front. Yeah. We did a cover show thing for Halloween at a venue and we were Bikini Kill. Kayla did the girls to the front for Rebel Girl, which was obviously the set closer. It was cool to look out there and see, like, oh, this probably made some people's, like, weeks, months, because those would girls were too. ecstatic. <laughs> yeah, and I was saying, like, you know, instead of looking out to, like, the front, and it's, instead of a mosh pit full of, like, dudes who are crowd-killing and, like, seeing how hard they can go, I mean, you just saw a bunch of women, like, jumping around and smiling and having fun and singing along, and it was, like just such amazing energy because like how many times do you have like an all-female band on stage and then women at the front really owning the space and i made a comment about how i think that that's indicative of how much women really do create crave like female spaces and they just kind of don't even realize it like they don't know what they're missing because there's just no fucking feminist consciousness to be like oh you kind of like need that sometimes and mac was talking about um when Mac and Kayla and I and a couple friends uh went to see the actual bikini kill earlier in the year. And then, yeah. Yeah, it, I I just had a really good time with that show honestly. <laughs> the the gist of it is like I there was definitely a lot of guys there, but uh for the most part I would say the crowd was a majority female and uh I don't know it was a really good show. I had a really good time with that show in the pit as I always am. <laughs> and, yeah, I uh <laughs> 
didn't leave there with any, you know, injuries. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've broken my nose in a pit. It was a guy who broke it. Uh, I've gotten multiple bruises in pits, but this is my own choosing. I this is what I signed up for, jumping in a mosh pit. But well, plenty the broken of women nose don't call for. Yeah, well, plenty of women also don't jump into mosh pits and then like, still get fucked up like that. Yeah, that's like exactly. part of the thing. I think that's was one of the things that Abigail said about the show that we played as Bikini Kill yeah. with the girls to the front where they were so ecstatic where like you look out into the crowd and they're all just like having fun and it's like oh um, there's no girls worried that you know some dude is gonna play the fucking Pornhub ref and remind them of shit and there's no dudes that's gonna fucking like come and crowd kill them like that kind of shit is just not gonna happen right there just for once it's not about them yeah do you guys want to share anything um you're working on in the future or like any shows you're playing in you know the next couple of months yeah um so both of these things are kind of uh unannounced so uh that gives everybody who's listening um all the more reason to follow us um true because yeah there's no concrete information out here yet maybe by the time this comes out um It'll be out, but we have recorded a song um, to go on a compilation. Hopefully, that should that is uh, directly benefiting uh, survivors of sexual assault. Yes, um, and proceeds going towards just a domestic violence shelter. I think is putting it together. Um, so we're excited for that to come out. We do have a show coming up in Reading, Pennsylvania, on the sixteenth of December. Um, it should be an afternoon show that's going to be with Bleeders and um, Stranger Danger. I believe lineup may be subject to change. Um, date and time might be subject to change. Definitely us and the Bleeders and at that venue. But um, <laughs> yeah, I guess just keep an eye on the social media for that. And our Instagram handle is... Uh, it's scum band official. It's scum underscore yeah. band official, right? Yeah. It's just that I recommend the Instagram to people because that is where we are most active, and it also has the link tree, so, like, our Spotify and all our other stuff is, like, in there, and some free feminist theory PDF, so if you heard us mention the 50-year ridicule a million times but don't know where to find it, come to our link tree. It's it's in a Google Docs. It's linked in there. (laughs) Yeah, Instagram is probably the most effective way of uh, getting our information, but, um, yeah, and we have the album on Spotify. Um, I don't know if at any point we mentioned this, um, put it in the description or something. We are Baltimore based. Yeah. So um we are typically playing Baltimore, uh Pennsylvania. We'd love to go other places. Um if anybody's listening and wants to book us somewhere, do it. We'll come. <laughs> Within reason, but um it has to be on the coast. But we love to uh you know, we're gonna do the scum British Columbia tour. <laughs> but we love to play to new audiences, especially. Very cool. Um well I thank you guys so much for coming on. Um I think we're wrapped on time, but um this has been like really cool getting to know you guys and please for everyone at home, like Download their album on Spotify. Go to shows if you're local. Like, this is such a cool band to support. Thanks. Thank you so much <laughs> yeah, for, having for having us. It was great talking to you. All right. So that was my interview with Scum. You can find...
her album by searching for Society for Cutting Up Misogynists. Um, I have it downloaded on Spotify, um, but I'm sure you can find it on other major apps. I'm hoping to get together some musical events both in and outside of New York um, over the next couple six to eight months, so please look out for any announcements about that in the future. I don't have any more details right now, unfortunately. Yeah, so looking forward, um, I'm really working on getting on a little bit of a tighter schedule. Um, ideally, this podcast would be published bi-weekly or weekly, but right now I've been kind of hitting like a once a month schedule. So I'm really trying to focus um, over the holiday this week on getting out the next episode. Um, it will be about Israel and Palestine. I know this is a little bit late in the game, but I took a while kind of considering all of my options, going through um, some of the sources that I plan to use and really deciding like, is this a political issue that I feel is important to weigh in on? And if so, what kind of context can I add for that to be useful? And I think just observing um, the online debate over the past um, two months now, um, I think that there are a lot of really interesting issues to address between LGBTQ politics, feminist politics, and um, anti-imperial politics. So that's definitely going to be the focus of my next episode. Um, I'm also going to be doing an episode on Britney Spears' autobiography, um, which I'm really excited four. Um, I've been a Britney fan forever <laughs> and I'm in talks with three different groups um, for interviews so definitely like a packed schedule in January and December and then um, a couple of events that I'll be promoting on here that I'm either producing or sort of involved in the production of um, in the coming new year which is very exciting as well. Um, I'll close off with um, another scum song kill john um it's one of my favorites on the album and um i hope to see you guys in two weeks all right thank you so much bye bye